You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The Emperor summoned before him Hamako, the leader of the Azumi clan, and he commanded him, saying, You have plotted to rebel and overthrow the state. This offense is punishable by death. I shall, however, confer great mercy on you by remitting the death penalty and sentencing you to be tattooed. Hello, hello, my friend. I am TK, and you are listening to For the Love of History. We are continuing our theme of Japanese history this month to talk about Japanese tattoos. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I really do need like a wah, wah, wah button. Anyways, we are going to talk about the history, the symbolism, and the criminal connections, the process itself, and much, much more. Being a tattooed lady, living in Japan, and researching this topic made me want to get another tattoo so bad. But then after I found out how Japanese tattoos are done, I was not so keen on the idea. But without further ado, grab a snack and a drink, get settled in into whatever you're doing while you listen to the sound of my very educational voice, and let's get started. If you are a Fran, a Fran, if you are a fan of trash TV like I am, I'm sure you have seen many a TV personality or reality show character with a Japanese tattoo, heavy air quotes with the Japanese tattoo, or a kanji, maybe a dragon. And this, my friend, is 100% not a Japanese tattoo. It is inspired by Japanese tattooing, but it is not, in fact, the real deal. And here's why. Japanese tattoos, or irizumi as they are called, are created through a process called tebori, which means to carve by hand, taking a needle or a few needles and putting them together on the end of a piece of metal or wood or bamboo and then tapping the ink into the skin. That is the process. And from the beginning of tattoos and history throughout the world, tattoos have been created in this way with needles and tapping of course, with slight variations depending on the country and the culture. Initially, Irizumi were made with the same tools that were used to create wood carvings. And by that, I mean freaking chisels and hammers. What? Oh my god, that must have been so, so painful. But thank goodness that changed to sharpening several needles depending on the desired line thickness of the day and tapping the needle and the ink into the skin. Wonderful. Much better than a chisel. But don't get me wrong, friend. Just because it wasn't a chisel doesn't mean <laughs> that it didn't hurt. It was painful. And according to traditional tattoo artists, only about 20% of people finish their full irizumi, the full body tattoo, but we're going to talk about that more later. The ink in traditional irizumi is also quite unique. The colors for a traditional Japanese tattoo are red, green, indigo, and yellow. 
The very first color ink was called Nara ink, also known as Nara black, which was produced from soot collected from temple lamps. The ink is known to turn a greenish blue color after being injected under the skin. Can we pause and take a moment? to just acknowledge how badass that is. Like, let me collect soot from a temple lamp and then inject it into my body. Ugh, so hardcore. I love that. But later on, other colors were developed, with red being the last and most dangerous. It's made of super mega toxic ingredients that give the tattoo receiver a fever with other symptoms that can actually cause death. So only a few places can be tattooed in red. And you can only have small areas done at a time or else there's a possibility of death and nobody wants that. But where does this tradition start? How far back does it go? Well, my friend, thousands and thousands of years. It all started in the Jomon period from 10,000 BCE to 300 CE. Humans, you know, had been making their way all over the world from the continent of Africa, and some just happened to find themselves in Japan, or what would become Japan. They had their own complex culture and language that would form the foundation of the Japanese culture that we know today. The Jomon people, as they were called, made a ton of pottery, like an inordinate amount of pottery for some reason. But boy howdy, am I happy that they did because archaeologists have had a field day digging up all of the stuff. One of the stuffs that was dug up was little pottery figures called dogu, and they had markings which have been determined to be tattoos all over their faces and bodies. Bam! This is the first evidence of Japanese tattooing. But that's not all, my friend. In the 3rd century, some Chinese merchants and diplomats came over to the land of Wa, which was China's name for Japan at the time. And they discovered men with fish and shells and other ocean-themed motifs all over their bodies. And being very polite, the Chinese merchants, of course, asked the men of Wa what the heck are those all over your body? And the men of Wa were like, protection man, we're fishermen, and we need to protect ourselves from the legendary giant man-eating fish that live in the ocean of Japan. Duh, you should also get yourself some tattoos. The Chinese did not. <laughs> they were not a fan. But the Chinese merchants and diplomats were like, oh, of course, this makes sense and wrote down this interaction in the Gishiwa Jinden, which is the oldest Chinese record of encounters with the Japanese. So thank you, ancient merchants, for that lovely encounter. We know so much now. But the Japanese history of tattoos doesn't stop there. If you are a For the Love of History fan, and you have been following along for a while, then you know all about the Ainu people, one of the groups of indigenous Japanese who have a long and rich history of tattooing. But if you're not, and this is your first episode, then first of all, welcome. Uh, you should totally go back and listen to that episode because it's very good. And learn all about the Ainu women and their tattooed smiles. 
I haven't covered this topic yet, but I'm sure I will sometime. The southernmost indigenous Japanese are the Okinawa people. They also have their own unique tattoo history and culture, centering around the fingers and the hands, which is so interesting, and I'm going to have to do an episode about that. Now I'm sure you're thinking, okay, TK, Japan seems to be very rich with history of tattooing, and it doesn't seem so sinister, so why do I think about giant full-body tattoos and Yakuza gangsters when someone mentions Japanese tattooing? What's the criminal connection? Great question, you inquisitive genius you. As with most things in history and life in general, there are two sides to every story. Which brings us to our main topic of the day, the criminal connection of tattoos in Japan. For several hundred years, tattoos were not something you would see in mainstream Japanese culture. It was mainly just in the indigenous Japanese population and rural fringe communities. But in the 17th century, that all changed because Japan changed. In the beginning of the Edo period, from 1603 to 1868, the man that finally united Japan, Tokugawa Ieyasu, was a complete and total hard ass. As the Edo period progressed, more and more people were coming into the big cities of modern-day Osaka and Tokyo. And as is often the case when more and more people come to a big city, the population explodes in just a small area in a very small time, crime tends to go up. The higher-ups in society, i.e. Tokugawa Ieyasu, wanted a way to publicly humiliate, shame, and deter others from committing crimes and straying from this newfangled Confucian belief system. So Tokugawa Ieyasu was the shogun of Japan. So basically he was like the big boss. He was essentially a dictator. And he loved Confucian doctrine. So quoting that beloved Confucian doctrine, Ieyasu advocated that body hair, skin, were all received from our father and mother, and they were not to be injured in any way. And if you kept your body clean and unmarked, this was the beginning of filial piety. He said to preserve one's body is to revere the gods and the family. Filial piety, which just means like a strong connection with your family and protection of your family, is one of the most important elements of Confucianism. So that just put the kibosh on tattooing. You were marking your body, you were dishonoring your family and the gods. And from then on, if you did something bad, you would get tattooed for it. At the beginning in the intro, I read the very first proclamation of someone getting tattooed as punishment. Which I mean, I would much rather get tattooed than be put to death. But that's just my preference. Just my preference. Edo Japan went hard in some places if you committed a crime. You would get tattooed on your freaking forehead. 
there is going to be a picture posted on the Instagram so that you can see this. But for those of you who are not uh, close to your phone, <laughs> I, I'll describe this picture to you. So this is a picture of five different people's faces and arms that depict where people were tattooed and what people were tattooed with in different prefectures of Japan. So in the top left is a picture of a man's face from Hiroshima Prefecture. And he has the symbol for Inu, which is dog. On the top right, there is a picture of a man's face from Fukuoka. And he has lines that were tattooed each time he committed a crime or anyone committed a crime. In the middle, there's a picture of someone from Tokushima Prefecture, and it's their face and their arm, and you can see that these lines are also tattooed on the forehead, and when you, they ran out of space, their arms were also tattooed. In the bottom left, there is a picture of a person from Wakayama, and their face is covered in dots, and each dot represented a crime. And on the bottom right, we have a picture of a man from Saga or Nagasaki prefectures, and he's tattooed across his forehead with a kanji that means bad. <laughs> Just straight up bad on his forehead. It's very straightforward. No BS, no beating around the bush. You're a bad person, so you get labeled with bad. <laughs> These people would be cast out by their families and not allowed to participate in community life in any way. They were basically no longer allowed in society. This became the first connection between crime, tattoos, and society rejection of tattoos. So here's, here's the thing about tattoos. Yes, they can't be removed, at least not very easily, but they can be covered up. Decorative tattooing had been going on alongside this punishment tattooing, and as soon as people discovered that these criminal tattoos could be covered up with beautiful artwork, the punishment tattoos became basically meaningless. So by the end of the 17th century, the government had to find new ways to punish people. Because not only criminals, but regular citizens were also getting tattoos. This other side of tattooing had grown and progressed so much that there were rules and traditions and meaning behind these tattoo masterpieces, which we're going to talk about right now. Originally, decorative tattooing was used to cover up the punishment tattoos and also regular people would get a tattoo here or there because it was fun. But over time, decorative tattooing took on a life of its own. The first style of tattoo was done only on the back, and gradually the tattoo designs extended to the shoulders and the arms and the thighs and eventually came to cover the entire body and look like the suits we know today. This is one of the key differences between Western and traditional Japanese tattoos. Irezumi consists of a single major design that covers the back and extends to the arms, legs, and chest. 
The design requires a major commitment of time, money, and emotional energy. Just imagine that. Hours and hours of these little needles just being tapped, 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 tapped into your skin. No thank you. Absolutely no thank you. The idea of the full body tattoo comes from samurai warriors' costumes called jimbaori, a sleeveless campaign coat worn over the armor. It kind of looked like a vest, and it was just easy to slip on and off over their armor. And I'm going to put some pictures up on the Insta so that you can see them. They're really cool because the samurai had their favorite patterns on the back of the jimbaori, and they tended to look like heroic designs, Perhaps they wanted to show their courage and their pride. Each image had a different symbolism, and that was reflected in the full body tattoos. So when I say full body tattoo, what do you think of? Yakuza, right? Right? The Japanese mafia? And you're not wrong, friend. The majority of the people that were getting the punishment tattoos and then the decorative tattoos to cover them up were Yakuza. With the establishment of the Yakuza also happening in the Edo period, the Yakuza and tattooing went hand in hand, changing and developing together. Another thing that popped up in the Edo period was kabuki theater and woodblock printing called ukiyo-e. Artists making posters for kabuki theater and woodblock printings of novel covers, of posters, of advertisements, anything. They were influenced by the art of tattooing because of an 18th century novel called Suikoen. The main characters of Suikoen all had elaborate descriptions of full-body tattoos. And just like the year after Frozen came out, when everybody wanted to be Elsa and Anna for Halloween... Everyone wanted to be like these super badass heroes of Suikoen. The ukiyo-e artists in particular were really influenced by the art of tattooing. In fact, during this time, tattoo artists themselves never actually designed the tattoos. Ukiyo-e artists would create the design, the tattoo artists would simplify it to fit the body, and the ukiyo-e artist would then paint the design on the client's body using a brush and ink. The tattoo artist would then come through and make it all permanent. The clientele of these woodblock artists and tattoo artists were like 80% Yakuza. The second largest group of people that came to get tattoos were firemen, who would get safety talismans and water pictures tattooed on them for protection. But again, 80% were Yakuza. And one would think that the motifs that they chose for their bodysuits would be like blood and monsters and gross stuff and warriors and battle and blah. But actually, (laughs) due to the influence of ukiyo-e artists, that wasn't the case at all. Balance and harmony and a sense of the season is the main focus of Irizumi tattoos, and it continues to be that to this day. Artists would talk to their clients several times and would make a design for the client based on their standing in the Yakuza and the person's personality. The design had to fit the body, and within the design, there were some harmony consistence. 
things had to be a certain way. For example, spring themes must be with other spring themes. Winter with winter, fall with fall, and summer with summer. This means you couldn't have a snake with cherry blossoms because cherry blossoms bloom while snakes are hibernating (laughs) hibernating in the spring. You can't have the god of thunder with a water background. He would need a lightning background. You can't have roses and koi because roses mean a new beginning and koi also means a new beginning, which isn't balanced. The most common and potent combination of animals was the tiger and dragon. In Japanese, this combo is called ryugo. Ryu meaning dragon and go meaning tiger. The tiger protects against demons and disease and the dragon brings you good fortune. So you have a push and a pull factor within the tattoo. And also, they were balanced in season. That is not by any means an exhaustive list or the only patterns that you see in traditional Japanese tattooing. There are literally thousands and thousands of combinations of things. And I'll leave a link to a pretty great website that tells you the meaning of about 50 or so most popular tattoo combinations. So after your tattoo is seasonally balanced and everything is good, the artist finally adds their name to the finished work. Really big. Like there's a like a full spot that's left for the artist to tattoo their name, which is super cool. I'll leave some pictures of those on the Instagram as well. So why were the Yakuza so drawn to tattoos initially? Yeah, we've got the crime aspect, but is that really a good enough motivator to spend so much time and money and pain and emotional effort? No, of course not. There are actually three big reasons for the Yakuza tattoo love connection. First is they cost a lot of money. So if you can afford to get a full body tattoo by an affluent artist, then clearly you be making bank. Number two, the tattoo is one of the clearest and most permanent, if not the most permanent way to show someone you're in the group. Like you're all in because you can't remove your whole skin. So it was a good way to solidify your position and make other people realize, yeah, I'm a member, I'm a Yakuza. And number three, these motherfuckers hurt so, so bad. Like I have many tattoos. I've got a full shoulder and half back piece. Like I am not a stranger to pain when it comes to tattoos, but that's a completely different thing. Automatic tattoo guns move at such a high speed that you don't even really register the actual needle going into your skin. It's kind of just like a really annoying itch and then sometimes a really sharp pain, but it goes away pretty quickly. This is somebody manually tapping these quite thick needles into your skin over and over and over again. So the pain is completely different. 
And so if you can stand months and sometimes years of pain getting a tattoo, then you're a bad bitch and people shouldn't mess with you. Because of these last two reasons, tattoos became a kind of initiation or weeding out process into the various Yakuza groups. A good majority of the people who started the full body tattoo never ended up finishing it. And if you didn't finish it, you were no longer a welcome member. During the Edo period, Yakuza tattooing and tattooing in general had its ups and its downs. But the Meiji Restoration in 1868 marked the beginning of modernization in Japan. The feudal system was totally abolished, so that means there were no more shoguns, those military dictator people, no more samurai, and Japan absorbed Western culture to cultivate new attitudes and thoughts. The first principles were called the Five Articles Oath, and they became a law. This is kind of like the early constitution in Japan. And Article 4 stated, Evil customs of the past shall be broken off, and everything based upon the laws of nature. And the word evil was very liberally used to stop the Ainu people from tattooing, to stop the Okinawa people from tattooing, to just kill the art of tattooing altogether. The laws continued to get even more strict as Western nobles and politicians made regular visits to the mysterious island that had been closed off to the rest of the world for almost 300 years. Japan was desperate to look industrialized and civilized. Heavy air quotes. I freaking hate the word civilized. It's ugh, gross. The government regarded tattooing as a sign of barbarism and in 1872 prohibited all tattooing, including by the indigenous Ainu and Okinawa people. But here's the thing that drives me absolutely freaking bananas, friend. This law only prohibited Japanese tattoo artists from tattooing other Japanese people and prohibited the indigenous people from practicing their culture. However, it did not prohibit tattoo artists from tattooing people visiting from overseas. Like, for example, the famous tattoo master named Hori Cho had tattooed many British aristocrats, including the Duke of Clarence, the Duke of York, later King George V, and the Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. As a result, Japanese tattoos were exported overseas and they gained a reputation outside of Japan. But the people whose cultures and livelihoods that were directly influenced by tattoos and included tattoos couldn't do it, which is some straight-up bullshit. So after this... Tattoos went underground, and Yakuza tattooing became all the more illegal and socially unaccepted. The younger Yakuza are now forsaking full-body pictorial tattoos for several reasons. They opt instead for simple line drawings or a phrase on their upper arm, not because of an aesthetic change 
but the old style of tattooing costs a fortune and they're simply no longer worth the physical and financial stress because of the stigma and society's opinion of tattoos. So the art of Japanese tattooing is almost non-existent. But my friend, you know, I cannot leave you like that. I cannot leave you sad. We've come to our final thought. And today, our final thought is kind of gross and a little macabre, but it's really, really cool and I promise you'll like it. But if you're not into the macabre and kind of gross things, you can just skip about a minute or two. No judgment. Don't worry about it. Let's get started. Fukushi Masaichi was a Japanese physician, pathologist, and professor of Nippon Medical School in Tokyo. He was born on January 30th, 1878, and he unfortunately died on June 3rd in 1956. So why am I telling you about this guy? Well, he was the chairman of the Japanese Pathology Society and focused his research initially on syphilis that caused aortic inflammation, which is inflammation of blood vessels, and thyroid disease. He became interested in tattoos when he noticed the tattoo ink in the skin killed the skin lesions of syphilis. As he studied the tattoos, he began to form an appreciation of the art because it is indeed an art form. He also realized the cultural relevance of keeping these masterpieces and began asking those with full body tattoos to donate their body and more specifically their skin to science and cultural preservation. He would give the owner of the tattoo money as well as the family money after the person died. Fukushi would remove the tattooed skin off the donated bodies and preserve them and keep them stretched out and preserved in a glass case. He would also offer to pay for people that couldn't afford to get their full bodies tattooed or finished on the condition that they would allow him to use their bodies upon their death and preserve their tattoos. However, in the end, just like a tattoo itself, it was up to the individual to decide whether or not they wanted their skin saved and then up to the family to decide whether or not to display it. So he gave full control of what happened to the skin after the person died to the family. If they didn't want the skin displayed, he wouldn't display it. If at the end they didn't really want to donate their body, then he was totally fine with it. And this sounds so gross, I know, and so morbid, but it's actually incredibly important. For example, you know, when the 5,300-year-old ice mummy Otsi was found in 1992 and his 61 individual tattoos were mapped out, we learned an incredible amount of cultural and anthropological information from something so impermanent and fleeting as tattoos. I think people often forget how culturally important tattoos are and how much time and work and effort goes into something that is permanent but also 
leaves with the person when they die. That masterpiece is essentially lost to time. So the fact that somebody took the time to preserve these cultural masterpieces is incredible to me. And this has actually sparked more people to start preserving tattoos. And I think that's great because there's so much that we can learn from that very, very gross preserved skin. Thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. I just love Japanese history so much, and I hope that you have come to love it too. And if you liked this episode and you are listening to me on Apple Podcast, why not leave a review? Give your girl a few stars, preferably five. Wink. But seriously, I would appreciate it so much, and it actually helps other history lovers and those who just want to learn something cool find this little old indie podcast don't forget to check out the for the love of history instagram for updates topic announcements pictures and just some good old content i'll be posting the poll for the next two topics over there so if you want a little decision making power over our next episodes then go on over and vote have a great day Have a great night, a great everything, and give yourself a big hug for me. I'll see you on December 11th. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs)